You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you all the casual conversations on the shows, concerts, films, music events, and and just all sorts of entertainment that we see and observe throughout our careers. Today we are talking about a specific play that is currently playing on Broadway, so we're going to warn you about some spoilers. Uh, If you have not yet seen this piece, we will be giving some spoilers here, so you have been warned. If you want to listen ahead, you are more than welcome to, but of course, if you want to go check this out on Broadway first, you can do that as well. We are talking today about Susan Laurie Parks' Top Dog Underdog, the Broadway revival, about 20 years later from when it was originally on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And it is currently playing at the Golden Theater in New York City on Broadway. This production stars Corey Hawkins and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. It is, of course, as I said earlier, written by Susan Laurie Parks and is directed by Kenny Leon. And an interesting fun fact, from 2001, this play won the Pulitzer Prize and the Outer Circle Critics Award for Best Play for 2001. And um, Susan Laurie Parks was the first African-American woman to receive the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Wow. And it was for this play. And now, all these years later, we're getting a fresh revival of it, which is really, really exciting. Um, Lots to unpack here. I find that this is a piece that the plot is pretty self-explanatory, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot behind the scenes going on with theme and things like that. So overall, what are your overall thoughts of this production of Top Dog Underdog on Broadway? Yeah. I I guess I have a few things to say here. And one, like you just said, this um, is a revival now from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that I picked from this play was even in the playbill, they say that the, the takes place here and time is here. Yeah. So it's really a timeless piece of theater that just works. And I wrote down this. I said that this for me was a super moving piece on really the harsh realities of what I think it is like for most black men to live in America. Mm. I think that's really what kind of sums up for me what this play brings to the forefront. Um, and I think what Susan did really was quite nice. Not, not not nice in that way, but she really gets it out there for us to see what it is really like. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you feel... I hear what you're saying. Yes, I feel like there's so many themes here that that 
you know, this is a comedy in a way, but it's also a dark comedy. And I find that the audience is laughing a lot in uncomfortable moments because yeah. I think she puts her audiences in uncomfortable situations on purpose. Just having them named Lincoln and Booth mm-hmm. alone are is an uncomfortable situation for us to be in. And seeing him in the job that he has, dressing as Lincoln and going to work and doing that, we're already starting off this piece. And, and I mean that in a good way, an uncomfortable. I always think a good playwright can put an audience in a somewhat uncomfortable position for a while Mm -hmm. and makes the play move like that. There are themes of poverty. There are themes of racism, workplace um, environments that are unfair, women, troubled upbringings. There's so many different themes and things here and it's haunting. And I agree with what you're saying. This is a, it's showing a struggle piece of black male Americans and, and how that is so difficult and how, and how has this play changed or not changed in 20 years? Well, it, when it's set here and now, you realize some things didn't really change much in 20 years. Some things did and some things didn't. And maybe we laugh at things more now than others. I don't know. Maybe in another 20 years we see this piece again and we see what's laughable and what's not. Mm-hmm. But I think the laughability comes from, oh, this is sad, but they're trying to bring some light to some of these situations, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's an inter- It's really, I found it to be quite an interesting um, style of work. And I think I kind of want to like start off with my question right off the oh, bat yeah. for mm-hmm. you, if that's okay. Because I think we're going to get onto that as we dive uh-huh. more into this uh-huh. podcast episode. But I wrote down here uh, that I kind of want to know what you feel like and then maybe we'll feel like what I feel like from these. But what do you really feel like the significance is about both of them being named Lincoln and Booth? Well, that's interesting, right? Because I think that Lincoln and Booth – when you find out that those are their names, you immediately think, oh, Booth killed Lincoln in real life. So you're kind of thinking like, oh, is Booth going to kill Lincoln at the end of this play or at some point in this play? Mm-hmm. It kind of sets the stage for that. But then you also have Lincoln, named Lincoln, playing Abraham Lincoln. And of course, there's what Abraham Lincoln did for the black community was amazing. And so you see this man who is struggling named Lincoln, who is named after an extremely successful admired person. So this juxtaposition there, right? <laughs> and then Booth who's struggling and in his, in this character Booth in in his life, but then thinks that can it be really easy to kill someone who means the most to him. And in, in reality, we know Booth just killed the president of the United States, which is crazy. So, mm-hmm. so, there is significance there, and I and I think that it was done on purpose, of course, and I think it's nice because this play would have been totally different if it was named like Ben and Bob. Yeah. And I think that it would have just been the play about Ben and Bob, but there's that's what is so beautiful about theater is like you take this play and it's like – and then I'm thinking – you know, you're sitting there and you're like, why – why are they named that? And then you realize, oh, their parents did it as a joke. And then that opens up a whole nother door of like what the parents were like. Mm-hmm. These characters that are missing from the play, but really not missing from the story. No. So there is a lot of significance right. to those their, names. Those parents are not missing from their two son, son's story. Right. And I feel like the fact of the matter is them naming them Lincoln and Booth almost foreshadows about what they almost want to happen to their two sons in yeah. the future. And I wonder if that really comes from that life and sitting there and you're like, oh, okay, Lincoln, who keeps wanting a better life, wanting a better life for himself, wanting a better life for his family, just like Lincoln did wanting a better life for all people, all people living in this country, especially the black community. 
we then see Booth come along, who kept wanting to take that power away. So ultimately, what? Booth takes the, the power away from Abraham Lincoln from yeah, killing him. Yeah. And then his brother, Booth, also yeah. takes it away from from Lincoln there. It's interesting because the parents did almost pin the kids against each other from the mm-hmm. start by one parent giving one kid money and the other parent giving the other kid money. And there's a line in the play where they say something like, well, I think our parents always had that plan. And they were they they already had the plan that they knew one of them was going to leave it this way, give one kid one money, and one was going to give the other. And then it shows how long they lived as brothers. Kind of they had to move in together. They got along for a little while. There was some nice, you know, one of the major themes here is brotherhood, yeah, and family and the connection of the haunted past. But the fact that they both have each other, women come and go, jobs come and go, they don't come and go. Until the end when one of them does go. And I think that's really important to say here is how does this play show that everything can change around them? But at least we have each other. Nope. They really don't because what drove them to do that? And I really do want to spend some time talking about the end um, in a second. But I do want to say that ending is really haunting whether you know that – I guess we'll just talk about the ending now. (laughs) I think that – I. it's haunting because whether you know he's going to kill him or not, you don't really know exactly when or exactly how until you really see it unless you've read it. Mm-hmm. And you see it and you're like, wow, what drove them to that place was money. Mm-hmm. What drove them to that place was hardship and struggle to survive. And that is astonishing that they literally killed each one of them, killed the other one mm-hmm. because of the clinging to the money. It really comes down to like money. Yeah. It's sad. Well, there was, I feel like there was a few themes there that these brothers kind of suffered from in society. They suffered from wanting power, not being able to let go of power. They suffered from inheritance. Mm-hmm. What do we inherit from our parents as traits? What do we inherit yes. from our parents materialistically? What do we inherit from our parents financially? You know, those are some big themes in there. And also just being honest. Mm-hmm. Honesty, how they well, honest Abe is funny that Lincoln mm-hmm. was right and doing the honest work. When we have Lincoln as a character in this show that is thriving on being honest, thriving on doing good work, thriving on making his own money, thriving on buying his own clothes, it really wasn't into Booth who kind of thrived off of the opposite, thriving off of uh, stealing and. Right keeping his parents' traumas with him constantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lincoln, someone who's able to kind of just let it go, Booth was not able to let it go. Booth kind of kept that going and going as a common theme here. And I also kind of find it funny that in a way you think about it, America as a whole thrives off of power, inheritance, and honesty. Mm -hmm. You know, and we kind of, as a country, are obsessed with some of the things that are happening in this show. We're obsessed with things like murder. We're obsessed with things with power mm-hmm. in this country. And there's so much, I feel like, irony in what's happening <clears throat> right. in this show with what really goes on day to day in America. And that's why I still also think that this show still works today. Yes. Even from 20 years ago. And it also shows, you know, at the end, too, what they're clinging to. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln spent all the money that his parents gave him. Mm-hmm. But just kept working. And then Booth held on to this money in this stocking for all these years. And when it came down to them just opening that up and saying, hey, this is now on the line, this money that you have. 
Uh, the question I have for you is, do you think, and I, I think this is maybe a little bit of a conspiracy theory again, <laughs> do you think that there is actually money in that stocking? Because you, it, we never see them open it up and reveal what it is. He's assumed that he's told years earlier that it's $500 cash in the stocking. There's a part of me that believes that that's not there. And would he have... You know, would it have been different if the play ended and, like, he opened it and saw it wasn't there? And would he have gotten angry? Would he have gotten sad? What would he have done if there was nothing mm. in there? It was just a wad of paper or something. I don't really know what my direct answer would be to that question. I think that there is something in there. We see something in there. Could it be an IOU? Could it be... Something's in there, Could it right. be actual... Could it not be $500? Could it be $499? Right. You know, we we don't really know yeah. what is in there. And what was the significance kind of, of Booth keeping that? Well, was, it wasn't just because I have a backup money, because even at his poorest, he wouldn't touch it. Mm-hmm. It was a clinging to the past. It was a clinging to this idea of his parents, especially the mother, I think, is what who gave him that. And so I think if he opened it and saw... It was nothing, or if he opened it and spent it, it would have been like throwing away his past. And in a way, he did throw away his past because his brother was his only part of his past, and he killed him. Yeah, but throwing away the past, but also kind of like, hmm, this money feels dirty to me. Mm. This money doesn't feel like it's mine. Right. This money feels like, oh, what they, this is all that I was worth to my parents uh-huh. Uh-huh. was $500. Right. Here, take it. You're done. Right. You know, and to be 11 years old when that happens, yeah. what do you do with it? Right. You know, there's such a different age gap in between also who Lincoln is at 16 and the brother at 11. Right. When both parents leave. Right. That's, that's a big thing. And right. one who's 16 is like, I need to live. I'm going to use this money. Right. And the other's like, all right, I'm going to hang on to this money. Yeah. For when I need it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so interesting that the time that he needed, there's so many things there that, you know, to get into this kind of topic a little bit, like Lincoln thrived off of being a great card master and playing the three card Monty game. He was making money. He was doing well. It wasn't until one of his friends died that he had a reality check and said, okay, I need to stop doing this. I need to have a better life. And Booth craved what Lincoln had in that three-card Monty. He craved, as most younger brothers do, what it's like to be the older brother. I want to be that. And I think there's so much in there that he was willing to get rid of his inheritance through a card game. Yes. And it also is a bigger commentary on, you know, what is good and what is bad. In society, society tells us you going out to work a job and come home is good, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Lincoln does that. But the job he's working is bizarrely not good right. in many ways. But society looks at that and says, well, what you're doing, Lincoln, is better than what your brother's doing with the card game on the street. Society, mm-hmm. I'm talking about. But then where do they seem to find their most sense of success or or happiness in a way is doing this card game because they make money that way, but then they steal. So from killing, stealing, illegal gambling, all these things that society deems as illegal are things that they are finding ease with mm-hmm. or happiness with or pleasure with. Right. But go in, what society is telling you, go to get a job. And I think that's so funny because this play would be so different if it was like, oh, I work down the street at the grocery store, I come home. No, you're working a job that like, 
clearly in this world of this play, society is saying it's okay for you to be a black man, to be dressed like Abraham Lincoln, and for people to shoot at you for money in an arcade or in a wax museum of sorts. That is legally okay according to the standards of this play. Mm-hmm. And that is what he was literally pushed out of mm-hmm. and who could barely survive on a job like that from. That is an, is an astonishing thing when you're looking at what is good and what is bad. Mm-hmm. They were trying on the new clothes and they stole them and they looked great and they felt great and the audience is laughing. Mm-hmm. And that's the comedic relief. But it's clearly illegal what they did. Mm-hmm. But that brought them happiness there. That is an interesting commentary to me on the difference between good and bad and what society tells us is good. And clearly in this world of this place, society said it was okay for him to work that job. Well, I think why society says that, I think there's a significance there as well of having a black man play Abraham Lincoln in this shooting arcade, which we think it's either in an actual arcade or it's an arcade within a wax museum. Yeah. Cause it, there's, there's point to that later in this, but they, I think hired him based on the association of Abraham Lincoln. So because of what Abraham Lincoln did for the black community during his pre- presidency, it was like, Oh, let's have a black man because why? Maybe people didn't like Abraham Lincoln mm. for that, i.e. booth, you know. So putting him in there, putting him in a booth to be shot yeah. by people, it's just interesting to me. And what's sad is he's replaced he's, – his job is replaced by an inanimate object, yeah. an actual wax museum dummy. He was the last straw for them. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even keep his job. That's the whole – but Dark I will say there's something in there's something there that could be a good sign. The thing is, maybe not enough people wanted to shoot at Lincoln anymore. We hope that. Maybe we're moving in the direction that something like that is so far in the past mm-hmm. now that we're moving into a different direction, that we don't need to take out energies on someone like Lincoln. Well, we it shouldn't have, have ever been a thing to begin with, right? No, I but, know that, but I'm saying people that were backwards would go in there and then kind of take their anger out on this. And you would hear some of the things that those people were saying to Lincoln. That's what I'm saying. And as that was diminishing and diminishing, I'd say that's a good direction that we're going in. But it's almost like when he hit rock bottom and he lost that job, there was no sense of like, let me go get another job. It's like, I'm going to go back to the card game. Because that's where he felt great. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he felt that he was able to thrive. Right. That's where he, but that's where he had all of the bad energies in his life come in. Right. That's where he had the the girls that wanted to do anything to him. Right. They, there's alcohol involved. There's drugs involved. There's not stealing. He's stealing from people. Yeah. Because he's conning them, but he's not stealing from stores. He's right. not going in and taking clothes. He's going like in and was. purchasing right. it. So with money that he's yeah. conned out of people. But, you know, the, the world is kind of a big con when you really think <laughs> well, about it Well, that is a commentary ways. on society. I right. think the whole thing is a commentary on society. You know, it's, it, um, I believe in an interview, Susan um, had said that she was an admirer of that Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. She, this is actually a, um, tr- a, a think piece to kind of make you think, what has happened to the black community in America since Abraham Lincoln? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, let's honor Abraham Lincoln and what he's done. But this is the ancestors of that time, mm-hmm. right? The, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-grandchildren of that time, right? So now what? 
It's almost a play that just lets you think, okay, here's a situation I'm going to present to you, now what? And it leaves the audience leaving and thinking. I, I love when a playwright leaves an audience leaving and thinking, especially with this question, which is, do we even think Grace existed? Was he making that up to make to impress his brother? Did he really kill her? Was she even existent at the end? He said, I killed her. Did he really? Did, did, what, did she even exist? Hmm. You know, I think that's an interesting question, too. I do think... I- First, I think that Grace is left up for interpretation. Whether you want to think she's real or Uh, not, or I want to think she's real or not, that's one whole area to discuss. I could say she easily was real, but the director and the playwright decide not to ever bring Grace in for that reason. Right. For you to decide if how long has she been dead. She could have been dead for a long time and no one knows. Right, right. And she's never coming around because he killed her as soon as... She didn't – as soon as she said no. Yeah. And – And it was when he – it was almost like Booth – they were trying to show Booth as if when he wasn't getting his way, he killed someone. Mm-hmm. And that was what he was brought to. Right. Uh, it, which is just – it's so interesting because there's there's a lot of Waiting for Godot vibes throughout this whole piece too. Two people in this apartment, no one else around, telling stories and like waiting. Yeah, and it's like you know, waiting for Godot. That's that famous play where like, you know, you never know what they're waiting for, and yeah. you watch them for three hours waiting. But the point is, is the waiting, yeah. right? And so not what they're waiting for. So the point of this, I found like I wonder if she got inspiration from that when she wrote this. As is like, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the best job to come your way? Are you waiting for a woman to walk in your door and sweep you away? Are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Well, I think what Susan has in here, even in the title alone, is by saying top dog, underdog. And what does that mean in in terms of a brotherly relationship or a family relationship in general? Who is on top and who is under? Neither of them are fully on top the whole play and neither of them are fully underdog. But they each think that they are all the time. They always try to one-up each other in many ways. I have a job and you don't. But I have a girlfriend, but you have an ex-wife. But I think that's the point. As soon as one is on top, the other one fights to then get there, to come out from under, to be on top. It is a fight. Top dog, underdog. And that's why I was going to ask, you know, your thoughts on the title too, Top Dog, Underdog, because I think that's important to talk about the title too. It's it's so important in this in this space, and I really find what Booth looks at when Lincoln is usually on top. The only time I really found that Lincoln was not on top was when he lost his wife mm. when he was uh, I, and wife, he, right? Yes, and the brother and the wife cheat. Apparently, the brother slept with the wife. Another thing, do we even know if that's true? Or did the brother say that to make him feel bad? Right. So many things we never really know is true or not. And for me with that, it's like, okay, so Lincoln now feels like he's the underdog in this. But he becomes the top dog again because why? He's bringing home the money. He is bringing home the food. He is providing for him and his brother. To me, I look at that as being on top. Mm -hmm. Somebody else might watch this show and say, "Um, well, Booth is really in the powerful spot here as the top dog because he doesn't have to go to work. He doesn't have to bring home the food. He's on top because he doesn't have to do anything. Uh, uh So it's just how you look at it. It really, really is. And I know we're getting close to time here, so I do I, I love talking about the plot of this, but I do want to talk about the production and yes. some of the production elements okay. too. As we're going you know, we can talk I, I love this play. And we this always do this. I, I feel like we so always much, do this in plays. Yes, yes, there's so much, to, so much to talk about. Dive in and yes. what's being told. I, I would like to start by saying Yahya Abdul Mateen the second and Corey Hawkins are giving amazing, amazing acting masterclass performances mm-hmm. in this. I am zoned in the whole time. They have wonderful chemistry together. 
They are just the acting. I remember leaving there saying the acting, the acting, the acting. It was one of the first things. It was one of the first things that we really said when we left that theater. It's like, it is so breathtaking and beautiful when you see two actors up there Mm -hmm. that fully, fully embody the characters that they are portraying. And act their way through it. There was not one second if you were looking at Lincoln or if you were looking at Booth that they were not acting through the scene. Yep. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. I would also like to do a shout out to some of the set design because I thought it would have been interesting if it was just an apartment. But when you saw the regal curtains everywhere with the lights, I was like, oh, they're trying to showcase this as like a presidential hall or some sort of – White House-esque environment where, like, this apartment, this dingy, horrible apartment is plopped in the middle of this regal look. And I thought that was really smart compared to just throw an apartment on stage with a black curtain behind it and call it a day. And I thought that was really nice with the set design. I don't know if you agree with that. I loved the scenic design of this show. I loved walking into that theater and you had different music from different generations playing. You had stuff playing. A lot of political movement music as well. So you heard... Different things from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to today that really set you in that scene of like, what am I about to see? And especially when you already know, like the characters are named Lincoln and Booth. So you have that political agenda Mm -hmm. music happening there. But I also agree with you that the scenic design, just that, that vignette of it being, this is America. Yeah. And you open it up and and this is what's in America. Mm -hmm. You have Lincoln and Booth, two men played very well as children really that have grown into adults that have been left to figure out how to live in this country. Right. right. And seeing that around this like red, white and blue curtain with stars and this, it's like, this is what's here. Yeah. 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 This is, uh, this is what you have to look into and say, every kind of person lives here mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. and it really really is showcased like that when you see a scenic design in that way I, and the, the, in the beginning of each act like the apartment would spin and then mm-hmm. it would spin out and but it only did it once or twice I'm like you're gonna spend all the money on the apartment moving move the <laughs> apartment more I thought that would have been some cool director choices there I also found you know it was only running a week when we saw it it was only about a week in some of the scene changes seemed a little stiff to me from a director's perspective I thought that some things didn't end and begin easily yeah some of the, I don't know, these are just very, sometimes there was one or two jump scare moments where the music would just come out of nowhere to set the night. I don't know if it was intended to be that or not. There might be some kinks that they're I think they're out. still working out some flow. Yeah. I think Kenny Leon does a nice job putting these two people together, and he's a great director. And I, I just think hopefully over the next few days and weeks, they kind of flow the piece a little bit better because yeah. it felt a little clunky at times, right. especially in some of the scene changes. When, some, yeah, I would agree you with know, that on some of the scene changes and even some of the movement happening on stage Mm -hmm. I think what those two men are doing in terms of the acting is amazing but now direct them through the stage there's this set is also breathing with them there are so many things you can be looking at in this set have them use it yeah have them, you know, have them walk to a different side of the room uh-huh. while they're acting. Well, when the set is only about the uh, center and front and the stage is bigger, they tried to really pull it in more. And I understand yeah. that because it's a two-piece play. And it's in a smaller Broadway house anyway. And but like, I, I still, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I agree with you. And one other thing probably is let some of those monologues breathe. Yeah. Really let them arc into something amazing. Because they start out as fine but then, like, Booth should be going manic almost. 
Booth is kind of crazy in that way mm. towards the end. And we're talking about the ending here before um, he really goes and kills his brother. Yeah. That I would think if someone's about to do that, they're going to about, they're about to go manic. Yeah. Unless it's intentionally done that way. Yeah. I think they're still getting used to working in the, like I said, some of the scene changes seemed a little like yeah. long and stiff. I think they're getting more comfortable with the piece. But from an acting perspective, it's like so there. It's yeah. already so there. And because those guys are natural, yeah. natural talents and, in that space. And, and I, that's why where a director should come in and really well, guide I them. And I would have liked a little bit more of suspension of reality at times. We have it with the regal curtains all around them, but also at the very, 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 very end, the skeletons light up the set. Oh, yeah. And you see all of the walls filled with dead skeletons or dead bodies like they've been living amongst the dead or that they killed you know whatever you want to interpret it as right like that this is built on death maybe or that they have hidden bones and things skeletons in your closet is the famous I think it's goes. a little bit of the skeleton yes, in of your course. closet that of this course. is uh going back to the Grace comment is like she could have been dead for a really long time if she even exists yeah. and that's a skeleton that Booth holds in his closet right. we also never really know if uh, the parents are living right and we, and so what I think is when you see the suspension of disbelief right and you see that lighting change and you're like whoa yeah. I would have liked one or two other moments in the play to take us out of reality like that for just a glimpse yeah. and show us the set moving and some music and lights changing take us into that moment I know it's not a dream piece or a fantasy piece no it's, it's not but it's piece, almost but like uh, but they did it but so they did it at the, the end so if you're going to introduce it. at the end yeah. maybe one or two maybe right before intermission give us a Oh, haunting moment or something instead of just lights out, music up. Yeah, um, I think there's a know. little haunting in there. And especially, I, I I go back to this monologue, though, that Booth is having at the end, right before he calls Lincoln. And it's like, where's that heartbeat in that? Yeah. You know, if that skeleton-y style wall is coming through, wouldn't it have been like, bring it in, bring it Slowly in. Slowly while bring he's it in, speaking. And boom. Right, right, right. Okay, wow. Right. Moment, yeah, maybe, you know, I think it's almost going to be opening soon, so they're probably almost setting, locking the show (laughs) in. But yes, I think it's cool to have these ideas and throw these ideas out there. It is a really, really amazing piece, and I really enjoyed it overall, for sure, so... Oh my gosh, we are almost out of time here. Time. So, final thoughts. What are your concluding final thoughts here on this piece? I think uh, this was definitely a highlight of the the fall season so far for mm-hmm. me. I think there's great, great acting happening up on that stage. This is a great story written by a great play- playwright, Susan Laurie Parks. And I think everyone should really check this. I, w- I would put this on your, your list, everyone, of a show to definitely go see mm-hmm. and check out. It is... It is a think piece that still works today. And there's so many things to kind of think about after and ponder about and then discuss. Yeah. Discuss with us. I would say (laughs) totally. It's a wonderful piece. I read it a long time ago. I love that this is my first time seeing it now. Mm -hmm. It should be done every 20 years, right? Like, let's make a commentary on what society is like in another 20 years or less than 20 years and see how we've evolved. It is a tragedy in a way. I know it's also built kind of as a dark comedy, um, but they get all those elements. You leave the audience feeling, the the, the show as an audience member, feeling a little bit of everything. Yeah. Some comedy, some sadness, some pondering, and you talk. A play should leave you talking. Mm-hmm. But what if, what if, what if? And I loved that. I love. I don't that. know if this is interchangeable, but I would kind of either love to see this done by two women or oh. also by a brother or, and a sister. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I think seeing different styles of siblings together would be quite an interesting uh, yeah. 
That would be thing. that would be especially in something like sisters because I don't think we see that a lot. Yeah, that would be interesting for sure. For yeah. sure, yeah. So, so. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Please go um, comment, like, engage in our social media at Half Hour Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, all those places, and like and comment and, and let us know what you thought of this as well as some of the other podcasts we've done. We have some great pop music coming out in the next few weeks. Some new Broadway shows we're going to be checking out, musicals and plays. So we're really looking forward to having more discussions about those as we're kind of knee deep now into the fall season here which is great so thank you all for listening we hope you enjoyed signing off for now i'm richie and i'm jeff saying ta-ta bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.